Welcome to the Bloomberg Surveillance Podcast. I'm Tom Keen, along with Jonathan Farrell and Lisa Abramowitz. Daily, we bring you insight from the best in economics, finance, investment, and international relations. Find Bloomberg Surveillance on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Bloomberg.com, and of course, on the Bloomberg Terminal. And now in Washington and with our John Farrell, the Secretary of Labor. It's now I'm pleased to say on the payrolls report on TV, on radio, is Marty Walsh, the U.S. Secretary of Labor. Mr. Secretary, it's great to catch up with you, sir. I cannot think of the last payrolls report that got this little attention. Payrolls at 678 because we're focused on everything else. Secretary Walsh, your take first of all, and then we need to get to the much, much bigger issues worldwide. Yeah, no, you know, a good solid report, good broad-based gains in all sectors. Pretty happy with that report. Uh, Clearly, we have more work to do. You're absolutely right. Uh, You know, my heart and prayers go out to the people of Ukraine. Uh, That's kind of front and center for everybody uh, in in the world. The world is certainly united behind Ukraine. And, uh, you know, hopefully we can get back to, uh, hopefully we can get through, uh, Ukrainian people can get through uh, the challenges they have. And we can go back to talking about uh, the economy again. I, I would much prefer to be taking, taking qu- strong questions from you today about the economy and Ukraine people having peace and freedom today. Uh, Secretary Walsh, I agree with you. I think we all do. Let's get back to those days as soon as possible. Right now, as you know, though, we've got to talk about Russia. Microsoft, moments ago, in the last 30 minutes, made the decision to suspend new sales of products and services in Russia. Many companies are doing the same thing, whether they need to because of sanctions or they choose to, because they feel like they have an obligation. Do you think, sir, for you, as Secretary of Labor and for the administration as well, do American employers have a moral obligation to pull back from doing business with Russia? I think we have to do whatever we can in as many places we can to support the Ukrainian people. Uh, You know, the president said it at a State of the Union the other night from the stage. I think a lot of countries and a lot of companies are are doing what they need to do. I think that as we continue to move, as the as the conflict continues to move forward, I think that uh, there'll be a lot more companies in America and not just America, around the world will be be taking steps like this uh, against Russia. The refiners in America also not touching Russian crude as well. They're choosing to pull back from that. Secretary Walsh, is that a good thing? Yeah, well, I, th- I think, you know, as far as the conversations, there are going to be many conversations. I know that uh, here in the United States, Speaker Pelosi, uh, Senator Manchin, Senator Murkowski, and some other folks are asking for that. Uh, and, and I'm sure that uh, the president and the, and the White House were evaluating the different situations. But again, I think that the whole world is going to continue to, to, to put sanctions on Russia as we move forward here. I know that you've I mean, been looking... The, 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 pictures on, the pictures that we're seeing broadcast from Ukraine are horrible. No, they're heartbreaking. Um, when you go after buildings with older people in the schools, uh, it's just uncalled for. So when refiners pull back, I guess what I'm trying to work out, Secretary Walsh, is that you've tried for an energy carve-out. A lot of people still don't want to touch crude, even if there is a carve-out. I want to understand the message the administration is sending right now. Do you want refiners to buy that crude? Or do you want them to step back from it? Is that a welcome development, even though the sanctions aren't there? Well, again, I'm not in a position to be able to speak on that right now. I know that uh, as the president had laid out his sanctions last week, or actually over the last 10 days, uh, he's been very thoughtful in doing them, working across the globe and doing them. And I think those, I'm sure those conversations are happening right now uh, with world leaders. There's a conversation that hasn't happened, apparently, and I wonder if it has happened subsequently. I couldn't get this information from the Treasury Department in the last hour, so allow me to put this question to you. This came from the Devon Energy CEO, big employer here in America, crude explorer. 
this is what they said to us this week. Secretary Walsh, quote, I'm a little mystified that there hasn't been some dialogue. If they were to reach out, you, the administration, to them, and maybe be a little bit more collaborative, it might provide some cover, cover from investors who might be disappointed they're boosting output. Have you reached out to any employers in the oil patch to boost production? To this point, I'm not aware of any, any conversation, but I'm sure that there are conversations going on. Again, uh, I have not been part of those, have, have not been party to those conversations. Uh, if asked and when asked and when told to by, by the president, I will absolutely be having those conversations. Do you have to wait to be told to, to have that conversation? Well, certainly this is a, this is a very coordinated effort uh, when you look at what, 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 what's been going on here with the, with the, with the powers of the countries across the globe working collectively together. We've never seen, I shouldn't say never, I mean, having the strength of NATO seem so close together uh, is really amazing and working collectively together. So again, I think there's been, there's been a process here as we move forward. Crude right now, WTI at 112.87. You know as well as I know that wages haven't been keeping up with inflation. Is there anything you can do in the short term? When we heard from the president earlier this week in the State of the Union, there were some big long-term goals, long-term investments that he wanted to make to build out the productive capacity of the economy. Is there anything we can do in the short term here, Secretary Walsh? Well, I, I think, I think if, you, if you're talking about inflation, I think what's happening here is, I mean, we're in the midst of a, a, a worldwide pandemic. Uh, certainly that's one. We had the midst of dealing with supply chain issues. Now, now we have a major conflict in, in the world uh, that, that, that we're, all eyes of the world are on the Ukrainian people in Ukraine. And I think that as we move forward here, and the question earlier, uh, as oil supply uh, as oil supply gets cut back from Russia, if that's what ultimately happens, uh, we're going to see increase in gas prices. And I think that there's a point here that we have to we have to just continue to move forward. The president has been very clear on on bringing down inflation. He talked about it at a State of the Union. Uh, and, but we're living in very interesting dynamic dynamic and times that are happening here. So again, there's lots of conversations and, and lots of actions that will, will be taken over the next weeks and months. You're in a difficult spot now and I understand that because you need to try and stay in your lane and not get ahead of what other people haven't said yet but have you spoken to the administration this morning and your message following the overnight events which was shocking for so many people I haven't heard anyone yet call that an escalation from the US administration Secretary Walsh do you believe the events of last night were an escalation well I'm sure the president's going to address that when he speaks later today when can we hear from him I don't. I think he generally has a, a not too far from now, a couple of hours from now. I think okay. he he he'll address he addresses the, the country on the issue of of, of the jobs, but uh, certainly the the biggest issue of of the day is Ukraine. The biggest issue of our moment is Ukraine. Well, I look forward to hearing from him a little bit later. I understand, Secretary Walsh. There's only so much you can say, sir, and there's only so much you can say this morning as well. Thank you for being with us, and I think we're both on the same page when we can just talk about payrolls for ten minutes. I can't wait for that moment, sir. Secretary Walsh, thank yeah, I, you. Thank you. Our conversation of the day on this term, sanctions. Right now in Ukraine, there is a teacher and a nurse, and they are leaving Ukraine, and maybe they've got an 18-month-old with them. It was not war in Nigeria, but Wally Adiamo came to California as an 18-month-old with his parents. He's done better than good out of Yale Law, terrific in the Democratic Party with different public service positions, and the Deputy Treasury Secretary joins us this morning. What will happen on sanctions, sir, this weekend? What I can say, um, good morning, thanks for having me, is that um, if President Putin continues to escalate his war in Ukraine, 
we will continue to increase the sanctions that we've put on Russia. It's important to see what's happening in the Russian economy today. Because of the sanctions we've put on, inflation is likely north of 20%. Russian markets have been shut down for days, and just earlier they announced they're going to shut them down for more days, which is the longest shutdown they've had since at least 1998 when they defaulted on their debt. And in addition to that, any investor or market participant that I've talked to over the last week, what they're trying to do is take their money out of Russia, which means that the well, Russian economy is collapsing. You've had experience with that with Mr. Fink at BlackRock, so you've served both spheres of government and finance. From where you sit, can the Biden administration act unilaterally, or we must we wait for our allies? The thing that the president has discovered is that we are far more powerful working with our allies, and that's exactly what we've seen here, building an alliance that doesn't only include our European partners, but also partners and allies in Asia, which has cut off Russia from access to the international financial system and the global economy. Mr. Secretary, your words just moments ago, if Russia increases the war in Ukraine, we increase the sanctions in Russia. Mr. Secretary, was last night an escalation? So I'll leave that to the judgment as we look at what happened last night. But our goal is to make sure that we continue to increase sanctions as they increase their escalation. We took sanctions actions yesterday. We're prepared to take additional actions to not only cut off the Russian economy, but cut off Russian elites who are helping support President Putin. And we're going to continue to do that as long as President Putin chooses to continue his war of choice in Ukraine. You'll leave it for another department to decide whether that was an escalation. Then you have to enforce the sanctions that the White House decides. So, Mr. Secretary, just help us understand how the sausage is made. Do you do the groundwork ahead of sanctions being announced, or do you have to do the groundwork after they've been announced? Can you help me understand what order it comes through? Do you have to do a load of studies now to be prepared to execute on something that might be announced down on the road, or do you wait for it to be announced? So in November, when we started to see Russian troops gathering outside of Ukraine, the president ordered Secretary Yellen to start planning for the imposition of sanctions if Russia were to invade. He gave one order, which was to make sure that anything we did had a maximum impact on Russia and mitigated the impact on the United States and on our allies. And that's exactly what we've done, working closely with Europe and our allies in Asia to make sure we design sanctions that we could use if Russia invaded. And we have a number of things that we've already deployed, but a number of things that we've planned for over the course of the last few months that we're ready to deploy if Russia continues the invasion of Ukraine. Let's talk about the stuff you've planned for and haven't deployed. Have you got a plan for energy sanctions if you needed to deploy it? Has that plan been made at Treasury? So going back to what the president gave us as our order, make sure that we maximize the pain on Russia and limit the cost to the American people or our allies. What we decided to do with regard to energy is make sure that we do nothing to increase the price of energy um, immediately. So we're, we've created a general license saying that energy can be sold through pipelines, by boat, immediately. But what we're doing is that over the long term, we're degrading Russia's energy production capabilities so they can pump less energy from the ground in order to cut off their source of revenue over time. So I understand what's been announced. I'm trying to understand whether you have a plan to deploy if you need to announce energy sanctions. Speaker Pelosi says ban the oil, ban Russian oil. I want to understand whether you've done the work at Treasury to execute that plan if it needs to be executed. Does that plan exist at Treasury? So the plan that we have now is to do everything we can to make sure the market remains well supplied now. What we have plans to do is to grade their ability to produce energy into the future because the thing that we, we know is that 
if we do something immediately that increases the cost of energy, that'll be a cost on the American people, and it'll be money that goes into the pocket of President Putin if the cost of energy increases around the world. So instead of increasing costs now, our goal is to make sure that we degrade their ability to produce oil over time, which will further starve them of the resources they need to, to conduct the kind of wars they are doing today in Ukraine. Mr. Secretary, does that mean that the sanctions that we've put out there so far are all of the sanctions that we can put out there at this time because what you're talking about will take time. So even if there's an escalation, uh, there cannot be the sanctions on oil without uh, the, uh, having a conflict with this goal. Uh, no, that's not true. We have other sanctions options outside of the immediate sanctions on the energy industry. What we have sanctions on the financial industry that we can continue to deploy, sanctions on their defense industry we can continue to deploy. We have a number of options that we can do that will allow us to meet the president's objective, which is maximizing the cost on Russia and reducing the cost on the United States and on Europe. Our goal is to make sure that the energy market remains well supplied because that's important to the American people. But by making sure that energy prices stay low, it starves President Putin of the resources he needs to continue to fight the war in Ukraine and also to destabilize the region. Mr. Secretary, how important is it to then get more production domestically, to encourage the domestic oil and shale producers to actually increase output, to create a buffer, to give you more tools? What I can say is that the most important thing we can do is make sure that the market today is well supplied. And we're doing that in the United States, but we're also doing that with our allies and partners. Mr. Secretary, forgive me. Let's go back to the question. Are you reaching out to domestic suppliers of crude in America? Have you spoken to them? Devon Energy said to us this week that the CEO was mystified that you hadn't reached out to boost production at home. Have you done that? Have you spoken to domestic suppliers? So as you know well, um, the domestic supply of crude right now is at a peak and that it'll take time for more supply to come online. We're focused on making sure that the energy markets are well supplied today because we want to make sure costs are reduced for American people today and we're depriving President Putin of the resources he needs to fight the war today. Over time, we need to do more to make sure that the energy market is well supplied and we're also focused on that as well. You said we're at a peak, we're at 11.6 million barrels of oil a day back at the start of 2020, north of 13, just looking at that off the Bloomberg terminal. What, what do you mean we're at a peak? My point is that at the moment we are producing a great deal of energy in this country. It'll take time for additional energy to come online, but what we want to make sure is that as, it takes, as that energy comes online, we're well supplied today because we want to make sure that Americans who are going to the pump today are paying the lowest possible cost. That's going to require not just us to take action here in the United States, but other producers also to make sure that the energy market's well supplied. You're a great student of history on this, uh, Mr. Secretary, and is this a sea change for the politics and the energy politics of the Democratic Party? Does Joe Biden have to lead the Democrats to a new energy theory, a new energy philosophy? I don't think it is. I think that ultimately we've always been for a well-supplied energy market. We know that in the, in the immediate term that's going to require us to um, rely on fossil fuels. But what we should learn from this is that ultimately being reliant on fossil fuels fuels that often come from places like Russia is not in anyone's interest. That's why the president is focused on making sure that we move to a clean energy future that's not only good for our security, but is good for our planet over time. Mr. Secretary, I'm a little bit confused, as many people are right now. Crude's at 111 on the Bloomberg right now, 110.90. We've got domestic oil suppliers, private companies essentially saying, we just want to hear from the White House. We're surprised we haven't heard from the White House. They haven't heard from you. They haven't heard from the White House. 
It doesn't make sense. And you keep repeating the same thing over and over again. We need to make sure there's enough crude supply, yet you won't reach out to domestic suppliers. We need to tighten a grip on Russia. The fact of the matter is people are stepping back from Russian crude anyway. And as you know, and I'm just going to repeat this for our audience, not for you, sir, 3% of crude imports last year for the United States came from Russia, just 3%. So people are already stepping back from Russian crude. What is it you think will happen if the United States comes out and announces that they're no longer importing Russian crude? What is it that you think will happen? And if you don't want to do that, are you essentially suggesting that you want domestic refiners to be buying Russian crude? Is that the goal of these sanctions still? That you want domestic refiners to be buying Russian crude still? Is that the message you want to send to the American public today? So I know that you've um, repeated twice now that we haven't reached out to domestic producers, but as you know well, domestic producers are making decisions based on what they see in the market, um, their ability to make money in the market. And our goal is to make sure that we have a well-supplied market. The president's been very clear about what our goal is. It's to make sure that with regard to sanctions, that we have a maximum impact on Russia and we minimize the impact on the United States and our allies. That's why he's taken steps like, redu like working with our allies and partners to reduce the energy supplies that we have in store. And we're going to continue to take steps to try and reduce costs for the American people. Mr. Secretary, thanks for your time today, sir. Wally Adeyemo, the U.S. Deputy Treasury Secretary. Jeff Rosenberg of BlackRock joins us right now. Jeff, have you ever seen a number as big as 678,000 met with a collective shrug in the market? Well, it's, it's a reminder, Jonathan, that, that the market's focus is really not on, on payrolls. But if we do just look at some of the implications of, of the payroll report, you know, clearly a, a very strong report uh, across the board. Mike McKee, if you're, if you're looking, I mean, check out the work week. That may have been behind that kind of disappointing month-over-month -month, uh, AHE. I can't quite see it here. But this is really a, a, a difficult period for markets because, you know, as we heard earlier this week, you know, the Fed is, is focused on inflation and its need to get on with normalization and raise rates while the market is focused on the implications right. of, of, of the Russian invasion. And, and that implication is a, a negative supply shock, um, you know, negative to growth, positive to inflation. It, it puts the Fed in a difficult position. Right. More importantly, it puts us as investors in a difficult position that we can't really look to uh, you know, interest rates falling um, from, from, from Fed policy easing in the face of any kind of growth slowdown because of the inflationary aspect. So it's a, it's a very yeah. tricky environment. Obviously, market reaction is about Russia-Ukraine, not really about the, the payroll. We report. say good morning to Larry Fink, who I know is watching and hanging on every word, Mr. Rosenberg. I don't want you to give away the palace secrets, but does BlackRock have any sense in full faith and credit and in the credit markets of all of this war that you can mark to market this Friday? Well, you know what we're seeing in, in, in the credit markets, and this is, this is kind of even you know, preceding some of uh, it, you know, the acceleration around the geopolitical uncertainties, is, is you know, we're well off the tight levels and the tightest levels of spreads. You know, partly a lot of that was, was just repricing to a higher interest rate environment. I think now you, know, you have a, 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 a difficult time disentangling the price signals because there's yeah. a liquidity a, a, a premium, risk premium uh, being built into the market.
Uh, and, and I think most of the price response so far is that. But we have to recognize that the, the, the negative supply shock and the stagflationary impact of that is really a tricky environment for, for credit. But the growth side is ultimately a, a bit more on the negative side. And you've seen some wider spreads across uh, credit markets. And I, and I think that's a, a message that makes sense in terms of pricing in, you know, some higher probabilities around some more negative scenarios for, for how this all plays out. And so that higher risk premium, you know, not yet really talking about uh, default risk premium, but risk premium around the potential to, to change some of the probabilities around um, economic outcomes around Jeff, this, this, this event. A lot of people who we spoke to this week said that they did rethink or they are rethinking actively their allocations in response to the developments uh, between Ukraine with the Russian invasion. Have you done the same? Yeah, you know, you know, there there is certainly kind of the initial playbook of, you know, geopolitical risk is very hard for markets to sustainably uh, reflect in prices. I think that initial kind of hopeful response in terms of this could be a buying opportunity has really been replaced, uh, particularly after the weekend sanctions, with, with a, a much harder reality that this could be going on for a much longer period with a much more persistent impact to energy prices and broader commodity prices. And that's the negative supply shock that you're seeing now roll out in terms of forecast revisions. Forecast revisions so far are modest, but they're significant in terms of reduction in growth, increase in inflation, a longer period of inflation, and then again to the challenge that puts to global central banks in terms of how do they manage the cross currents between growth and inflation. A lot more focus in the U.S. here on inflation. I think for the ECB, we're going to see perhaps a different response uh, given the, 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 the central impact this has and a much larger impact on the European growth outlook. So we're really upending a lot of assumptions. But I think clearly here the shock to commodities, the negative supply shock, prolonging the inflationary environment is, is, is going to make this a little bit more durable in terms of market impact and economic impact as a geopolitical shock. And Tommy, you watch this move in euro dollar. Yeah. Just about holding on to 109. Yeah. What a breakdown. I, I can't convey enough. And of course, this is something Mr. Rosenberg is so good at is the cross correlations. And this is not John flightiness. It's sort of a rolling wave tape to tape of stress. Euro Swissy not showing me euro, euro, uh, euro US dollar, but nevertheless extraordinary ruble at 117. John. Five days of weakness for this euro, just to go through the banks in Europe. Uni Credit still <clears throat> down by more than 10%, Commerce Bank down by 8 Sockgen down by 7 Deutsche Bank down by a little more than 7 Jeff, can you frame just how much of a problem we're facing in European markets and whether you'd go near it? Well, on the... Uh, the, the problem is certainly centered there. You have, you know, significant commodity shock, significant growth shock, uh, and, 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 the, and the dependency that we know in terms of the Russian energy supplies is, is centered, obviously, much more in Europe than in the rest of the world. So, you know, this is, you know, not only the, the growth impact, but the stock impact that you just described in terms of the financial linkages for the banking sector. Um, all being re reflected in this repricing here of, of Russian sovereign and, and, and credit risk premium. So uh, your second part of the question, I, I think it's a very difficult environment to assess the, the, the primary and secondary 
uh, spillover effects. And, and so a more cautious stance is one that uh, we're taking when we look at some of the impacts uh, in, in our portfolios. Hey, Jeff, looking forward to catching up with Rick a little bit later. I'll be catching up with Rick Reader in the next hour. Anastasia Amoroso, David Kelly of J.P. Morgan Asset Management. We'll hear from the White House as well. never on with us? Well, you I speak mean, to Jeff. You speak to Jeff. I, well, I catch up with Rick. Got me Do you want to swap them? Do you want, Jeff, would you like to come to me in the next hour and Rick can come yeah, to this hour? Yeah, we can hour? do like a switch thing. You, okay. We, we, we can work it out. We can, we can work like. He's very sensitive this morning, Jeff. Oh, yeah. I apologize for that. Hey, Tom, there's a difference That's between okay. being long into the weekend, being short into the weekend, and just hands off into the weekend. I think a lot of people are oh. very, very worried about just being wrong and yeah. this market just going completely <clears throat> in the other direction. I mean, on an ancient U.S. statistic, the VIX is mid midway. It's 30 out to 35, and we're at 33.33. So that's it. John, are you leaving us right I now? I'm going. I was going to wait for a euro dollar to bring you in 108 handle, Tom, but I'll, I'll give it a miss. <laughs> yeah, we don't, we'll we'll give it a couple of times. Wow, 109.04. Seriously, we're folks. We're making jokes here. John, seriously, this is not a joke. Hey, Tom, this is something. On Thursday. Thank you. Wow. Just the final Thanks word so between you and ITK on Thursday, CPI, and then literally as CPI comes yeah. out, President Lagarde is going to walk into the room in Frankfurt, Germany, right, and deliver a news conference. I, I 10903, we're there any moment. Jeffrey Rosenberg, thank you so much for joining us as always with BlackRock. John Farrell, thank you so much for joining us. get important perspective from Tiffany Wilding. Tiffany, thank you so much for waiting through the half hour. Really, really, all of us appreciate uh, that. <laughs> Tiffany, how separate is the United States right now with a boom economy? Yeah, well, first of all, good morning, Tom and Paul. I mean, I think, I think what this payroll report told you was that the U.S. economy is coming into the new year with a lot of momentum. Um, you know, and I, I, you know, so we, we got a booming jobs market, not, but not only that, we're seeing labor supply improve. Um, you know, the participation rate is improving. People are starting to come back, and, and, and importantly, that is starting to cool off wages, um, you know, a little bit. Of course, wages are still running at, you know, 5.1% according to this morning's data, um, you know, but that was against expectations of almost 6%. So, you know, that's a big difference. So that's going to be important for the Fed, um, and it's also going to be important because you do have, um, you know, the conflict between Russia and Ukraine, you know, is going to have em economic implications you know, for not only, you know, Russia and Ukraine, but for Europe, and that will spill over to some extent to the United States. So it's just, it's really good news that we're coming into that conflict, you know, with a very strong position in the U.S. economy. So, Tiffany, the headline unemployment rate is 3.8%. Is that full employment? Um, you know, so I, I think I think we're getting there for sure. Um, you know, so I think we were at three five right before the pandemic, and so I think that's an easy number that people look at. Um, you know, so so we're certainly close. Um, you know, if we're not there already. So the bottom line is is certainly from the monetary policy perspective. You know, Federal Reserve should be hiking interest rates. Um, you know, but I think the question of you know hiking interest rates and, and still uh, you know pace of you know maybe a quarter per meeting versus doing something like a fifty basis point rate hike, which many in the market have talked about, you know, I think this payroll mm -hmm. report definitely suggests that, you know, something more extreme like that 50 basis point yeah. rate hike is probably not needed. At PIMCO in Newport Beach, I mean, it's nothing to go up and brunch in Hollywood. I no, mean, 49 miles, you <laughs> yeah. know, you just do it. I mean, Tiffany does it regularly. Sure. And she's probably going to get in the car. She's going to hit Mammoth Lakes 
this weekend. Yep. You know, a little ski. That's action. how they do it there. Yep. That's how they do it. That's how, that's how Tiffany rolls. And I noticed a gallon of gas, Tiffany, in Mammoth Lakes, a regular gallon clocking in at $5.69. I mean, it's a political football, but it's also a reality for a huge part of America. When does the price of gas really impinge on your Excel spreadsheet? Yeah, I mean, it, so it already is, uh, to be quite frank with you. So, you know, I think the issue here is is that, you know, obviously it when people have to pay more for gasoline, something that they, they need, they can't really substitute into other products, it just means that they have less, you know, real discretionary spending for other things. So it is it is bad for, for broader growth. Um, in the past, um, the United States shale revolution has offset that somewhat. You know, but recently, um, you know, and, and Jonathan Farrell's comments um, to Marty Walsh kind of got to this, but recently, um, because of, you know, environmental and other concerns, that production response in the United States in the oil patch has been much more sluggish. So it hasn't um, offset, you know, offset as much. And so, you know, ultimately it will be bad for, for United States growth to have, um, you know, energy prices this high. Uh, hopefully this will be, uh, you know, a, a temporary shock, um, you know, and things will, will normalize at least eventually. Um, but I think that also, you know, that also puts the Fed in a little bit trickier of a position, um, you know, because this the Russia-Ukraine uh, situation is a supply side shock, which means higher inflation, but yet lower growth. Um, and that's a tricky position for the Fed again. Um, you know, ultimately, we think they stay on course uh, because the U.S. is in st- such a strong position coming into this, um, that they can still hike interest rates. Um, you know, but at some point, you know, they have to be mindful. You get a further escalation. Um, you get actual trade flow disruptions that are more material coming from Europe. Um, you know, that's going to drag on U.S. growth much more strongly. Um, and then that's going to kind of raise, you know, questions around if they need to pause or things like that. But for right now, we think Federal Reserve officials probably will continue on the path to monetary policy um, normalization that they've kind of laid out over the last several months. All right, so let's just go right there. WIRP go on the Bloomberg terminal uh, shows me the market's kind of discounting maybe six rate hikes in calendar year 2022. Does that seem reasonable to you? Yeah, I mean, we, we think it does. You know, obviously, you know, there will be some uncertainty. Um, you know, as we've been saying, you know, stuff happens. And, and I think that, you know, obviously this Russia-Ukraine conflict is a, is a prime example of that. But historically, you know, stuff happens. And, and, and you have to worry about the contagion events, you know, the, the market contagion that, that spirals from us. It's very difficult to pinpoint market vulnerabilities before you have these types of events happen. So I think what we're watching right now, at least, to, to see if, you know, the Fed maybe goes a little bit slower is if you do get some of that market contagion happening. So do you start to see it in credit, um, you know, or even bank funding markets? So far, we haven't, which is great news. Um, You know, but I think it's appropriate for the market, you know, where the market's pricing about Mm -hmm. six rate hikes. We think more or less that's about right this year, um, given the the risks, you know, that are out there. Tiffany, thank you so much. Tiffany Weldon with us. This is the Bloomberg Surveillance Podcast. Thanks for listening. Join us live weekdays from 7 to 10 a.m. Eastern on Bloomberg Radio and on Bloomberg Television each day from 6 to 9 a.m. for insight from the best in economics, finance, investment, and international relations. And subscribe to the Surveillance Podcast on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Bloomberg.com, and of course, on The Terminal. I'm Tom Keen, and this is Bloomberg.